This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. Hi, I'm Jeff Gibbard, the world's most handsome social media and content marketing strategist and real-life superhero. And this is my podcast, Shareable. Every week, I get the opportunity to speak with someone brilliant, including entrepreneurs, academics, authors, speakers, researchers, and more. Come along with me as we dig deeply into their unique story of success, including their highest of highs and often their lowest of lows. These episodes are powered by my curiosity about the critical role that relationships and technology play in shaping the course of our lives. These episodes aren't sales pitches. These episodes aren't the standard book tour. These episodes are just shareable. Before we get to the episode, I just wanted to let you know about an amazing free resource that you should be taking advantage of. I ran my own agency for seven years, and I know that as a freelancer, entrepreneur, or small business, you want to feel confident that you have all of the skills you need to grow your business, lead your team, and close the sale. But I also know that sometimes, no matter how hard you try, it seems like you can't get ahead. You try to learn how to be a better leader only to find yourself winging it. You know that you have a unique story to tell, but your marketing materials aren't telling it. And the things you need to learn are spread out all over the place, so it can be challenging to know where to even start. And it's for all of these reasons that I created the Superhero Institute. The Superhero Institute is a personal and professional development platform with curated resources, lessons, and strategies to unlock unlimited growth potential and teach you specific superhuman abilities. Your free membership comes with access to the one-of-a-kind superhuman framework, along with a structured approach designed to give freelancers and small businesses the tools for professional growth. Lead your team, tell your story, and close that business. Commit yourself to continual growing, to consistently expanding your skills, and constantly deepening your understanding. It's time that you get more done than you ever have before, and before long, you'll realize that you're just getting started. Become the superhero you were meant to be. Join today for free at superheroinstitute.org. Welcome back to Shareable. Today, back on the show, I have Melanie Diesel. It is so awesome to have you back. I am really glad that we get the chance to chat about what's been going on in your life, what's been going on in my life, where it overlaps, all sorts of things, building on the conversation we had last time. I'm just super jazzed that you're back. Yeah, super fun to connect. It's always good to catch up. Yeah. So uh, for those that don't remember you, you are a brand journalism uh, storytelling specialist. Uh, you are the uh, CEO, owner, founder, head honcho at Story Fool, <laughs> and you do really cool stuff. And you actually, I think, for those that haven't listened to the last episode, I got to go back and look at what the number was, but just search for Melanie Diesel on um, Shareable. And um, you did a really good job of kind of changing my mind in a, in a lot of ways about um, – kind of the sponsored content movement, like the whole, um, what are they called? Um, like native uh, ads and native sponsored content. Yeah. Yeah. So you really kind of opened my eyes to it and made me see it in a, in a very different light. And I think it's partly because you have like a very strong, like ethical framework that I, I feel like underlies your work that yeah. may not be representative of everyone that's out there doing it, but you really kind of painted a nice picture of like what it could be in its most idealized fashion, uh, I think. So I want to definitely talk more about that. But for those that did listen to the last episode, catch us up, like what's been going on in your world? What's going on with you? What's new? What's different? Talk yeah. To- so it's definitely, I'm trying to remember like exactly how much time has passed, but we've had a few major milestones, right? It's been about yeah, a so- 
So definitely in the last year, uh, I welcomed my first child, which was definitely a big, uh, yeah, definitely. She came mm -hmm. in, uh, in August last year. So she's around six months old as we're recording this. She's, um, she's wonderful. We are so happy, you know, and so lucky to have a, a happy, healthy little one. Um, but it definitely changes the way you operate a business as a solopreneur, as, a, as an entrepreneur. So, you know, a lot of changes in that realm. Um, and I also used my, you know, I'm doing air quotes, downtime uh, of maternity leave to finish writing my book that I've been uh, also air quotes writing for yeah. a very long time. Um, so that actually comes out as we're, I mean, Monday comes out Monday. So those are probably the two biggest changes, biggest milestones in my life at this particular time. That's definitely top of mind for me. That's really cool. I um I think one of the reasons I was so excited to jump on the phone with you or, or jump on this uh, this episode was we have I feel like very very similar but like kind of time displaced stories that are going on. Yeah. So uh, we're planning to welcome our first child May first, uh, which is the day before my birthday. I'm hoping she shows up one day late because I hate my birthday <laughs> and I would love to have her show up on my birthday so I can celebrate it once again. Um, and you know I have these ideas in my head that like at night when like I'm a night person, my wife is kind of a morning person. So my I have these like ideas in my head that like, I'll take the night shift. And like, I'll just I'll have baby in like one of those little slings. And then I'll be writing my book or doing whatever my things are like my night work. And she'll just be chilling, like sleeping on my chest or something when I know that that's totally not going to happen at all. I have so many plans. And I love talking trash to all of my friends that have kids, because I know that everything's gonna bite me in the ass. And I'm totally wrong about everything. But I still like that I have this window to be like, Oh, my kids, like, going to eat and will never really cry and will sleep. And, um, you know, when she does wake up, like she'll just, you know, everything will go fine according to plan because I know <laughs> that it drives them nuts. Like my, I, I do this to my friend Marco and he just gets absolutely out of his mind for it. But, um, yes, yeah, so we have similar stories. Yeah. I'm, you know, pretty excited about, uh, hearing how you've been managing this. Yeah. I mean, and I think, you know, to your credit, there are some some babies and some points in time of that new parenthood journey that may be very much like that. I think what was such a giant eye-opener for me is having to just completely let go of expectations and schedule and timelines and just like, it happens as it happens. That was probably the biggest adjustment for me because I am definitely a planner. Uh, you know, I am very much that type A person who likes to know what's happening when and, you know, I very serious about my calendar and like you don't you don't get that liberty the baby is in charge of the calendar now so uh that's definitely an adjustment but you'll find those pockets of time they just may not be when you expect you know yeah that's awesome uh i'm hoping that you're right about that uh, so so your book is coming out monday uh, monday yeah so february 24th yeah fourth cool so talk to me about that um because i i did not know that uh <laughs> what's it about like what yeah tell me about, like what you're excited about with this because let's call this like a book launch then Exactly. Yeah. So the, the book is called The Content Fuel Framework, How to Generate Unlimited Story Ideas. And it's a book that I wrote for marketers and creators. And my goal was really, you know, to try to, as best I could, pull out of my head the process that I use when I'm coming up with content ideas, because that was something I would hear from people, you know, to use your, your kind of language, like that it was my super, superpower, right? That they couldn't understand, okay, how do you just look at our business and come up with 10, 20, 50 content ideas for it? How does that, how does that work? And I couldn't answer it. You know, it, it was happening in my head, but I couldn't explain how. And so um, I mentioned, you know, the air quotes writing, it took me a long time to kind of unpack the process that was happening inside my head and actually be able to explain it in any sort of understandable way. Once I figured out how to do that, it became very easy to actually put that down on paper and write the book. So, you know, 
the my goal is that people who pick up this book are going to have sort of like a handbook to kind of sit down and come up with literally hundreds of content ideas that are unique, that are challenging them to tell stories in new ways and communicate with their audience in new ways um, with relative ease, even if they don't consider themselves a creative or like a creative, you know, a creator, you know, that that, that skill should be, should could be learned very easily. That is amazing because as we, like we, we were, for the listeners, we were chatting a little bit before we jumped on and started recording. And yeah. the thing that I want to talk to you about, and not even knowing that you were writing this book, is like, <laughs> I literally wanted you to go through how you see things. I, the analogy that I've used with clients in the past is that it's sort of like, um, like I'm not a hunter, I'm not a gun guy or whatever, but from what I understand, if you're a hunter, you see things from a particular way that like you can see when an animal is moving in a certain way, or maybe you even see the animal and, and you have to be able to show someone how to see things in a particular way to be able to be good at that skill, right? And I feel like what I do in strategy and in some of the other areas of my life in sales and this and that, like I just see things that other people can't see. And I think that that's un, kind of what is underlying anybody that has a superpower is that there's a thing that they can see that they understand that they have access to a frequency or a vibration, whatever it is. Mm -hmm they get that other people don't get. And I believe that's a skill that you can learn. So when I, you know, when we scheduled this and I was like, okay, what are we going to talk about? I'm pretty excited, for like the follow-up. And I was like, you know what? I just want to know how you do what you do. I want to figure out like, what's that thing that tickles the inside of your brain that makes you go, ah, I see that thing. And how can then we see those same sorts of things? So um, if you don't mind, let's go through a little bit of that from the start. So I think kind of set the groundwork. When I, when I talk with clients a lot of times uh, and I tell them to create content and, and all content creators are going to say things along the lines of, you know, tell great stories. Stories are a great way to package your information, yeah. number one. But number two, uh, focus on value, right? Like deliver value, something that's important to your audience that it matters to them about consuming, right? Very yep. generic advice across the board. <laughs> so then the question becomes, well, how do we do that? And if you talk to like a Marcus Sheridan, a lot of that will be like answering the questions that they have and things like that. You have a particular way of doing it where you come at it from a journalistic background. Talk to me about your process to the best of your ability. What's the starting point of how you think about things? Yeah. So, you know, what's interesting is that the the book is really just purely about like the brainstorm process and how you can generate those ideas. It doesn't necessarily go into as much depth, like what we really talked about last time, that whole journalistic perspective um, on, on sort of like ethical storytelling and making it credible and compelling. Um, but you know, the, when it comes to starting from scratch, like if you're started trying to start from content and figure out what do I even tell stories about, you know, never mind how effective your brainstorms are. Um, the, I mean, I think that I turn to a lot of the similar frameworks that some of the others are using. So I always talk about, you know, answering the questions that your audience has. One of the key challenges that we have when we're, when we're creating content is as marketers, we care about everything that we want to say and our audience very rarely aligns. <laughs> what they care about is different than what we care about as marketers. Um, I, I equate it to childlike gift giving and that we're giving the gifts that we would want to receive and not necessarily the gifts that you know our recipients, our audience actually want. And so creating content that's based heavily in your audience's questions, their actual real questions, whether you find that through, you know, search, uh, search engine optimization, you know, looking at keywords and things like that, or talking to people on the front lines who are having face-to-face -face interactions with customers, then, you know, you're going to make sure that they actually care about the outcomes because they've asked the question, you're answering it through content. So, you know, Marcus is, is you know, we're, we're kindred spirits on that front of talking about the importance of answering audience questions. 
the other thing that I, I like to stress a lot too is the importance of, of reputable sources. And so I think one really easy way, again, like drawing on my background as a journalist to beef up whatever piece of content you're creating is to really, really lean in. Who else can I talk to? Who is an expert on this topic? Whether they're inside the company or inside the organization or outside, um, who could I bring in? What are other perspectives I could bring in to kind of lend some credibility, uh, back up things that I may be saying, you know, find someone who can lend credibility to a hunch that I have, just just find other experts who can and add some diversity to, to the voice that you're bringing to your content. Yeah, all good advice. What you you when you were talking about like what we as marketers generally are interested in versus the customer, the thing that I like to tell clients all the time is like your biggest challenge is not that like you have to figure out what to do when you go viral. It's the chance is like. 90% chance nobody cares at all about what you have to say. Like crickets yeah. more likely than applause. And if it's not crickets and it's not applause, it's probably somebody just crapping all over your hard work. So <laughs> like to be, to be able to even do that research and get to the point where you like put something out there and then you get crickets, it's like so difficult. There is some secret sauce around trying to get into the mind of that customer. And you kind of alluded to two things, which is like kind of one doing like that keyword research side of things, yeah. and looking that up. And the other is talking to people, which what a novel idea, right? Right. Um, it, sounds, it sounds so obvious, but yeah, whatever form that takes for you, like this could be, if, if you have a brick and mortar, this is like talking to the people who are on the shop floor. Like they're the people who are interfacing with customers. They're getting questions. They're figuring out what people actually want. You know, they're, they understand the common objections, common myths, common misconceptions that you can tackle through your content. Um, but you can also do like an old school focus group, like get a group of your consumers online or in person and just ask them questions, you know, try to learn more about their lives. Uh, try to take them from this arbitrary persona, you know, that's made up with a cartoon avatar and, and get to know them as real people. What are your, some of, what are some of your like very, in practice, we're going to do this. Like I'm a business, you're working with me. You say, Hey, do a focus group because, because it can sound anything with content or really anything in business where people will give advice. And then the inevitable next question, because we all have our strengths and weaknesses is someone say, well, how the hell do I do that? So like make it yeah. real practical. How do you go about getting a focus group? Like, do you have to give people money? Do you have to give them free stuff? Do you have to give them lunch? Like, how would you go about working with a brick and mortar business, let's say, that wanted to hold a focus group? And what are some of the things you might ask, tell them that they should focus on when talking to the customer? Yeah, so I, I think there's there's a couple questions to ask if you're considering doing a focus group of any type, um, because there's like anything, there's sort of a, a spectrum of ways you can approach this. Um, you can do it very, very simply and very informally. This could be coming up with a list of questions you want answers to and providing them to, again, your associates, your representatives, whoever it is that's, that's having FaceTime with customers, and just encouraging them to pepper those into conversation and keep track of the answers somewhere, right? So you could do it in a very informal way that doesn't require you know a budget and free stuff and renting a venue right you don't have to get that serious if it's not within your means um, you just want to come up with again that, that sort of list of questions what are we trying to learn about them what do we want to know and then have a clear place for those answers to be tracked so that it's not just sort of I guess I heard it sounded kind of like you know but really tracking it somewhere so you could do that at the most informal end of the spectrum at the most formal end of the spectrum yes you can have 
an invite sent out just like you would tackle any other event. You know, get an invite of some kind sent out to a number of people, see who accepts, have them show up at a particular place for a particular, you know, they know the purpose, right? They're saying, I'm going to be a part of a focus group. In those cases, because you're asking, you know, time and sometimes travel of them, you do generally want to offer some sort of incentive and that can vary based on what your business is. It might be, like you said, it might be free product. It could be a gift card. Um, you know, it could be, uh, you know, credit for services. Um, it could be just that you're going to give them a nice free lunch and, you know, you're going to have uh, massages afterward. I don't know, whatever, whatever works for you, right? Um, just some incentive to make it worth their time to, to help you out. Um, you may even find that there's a way to do something in the middle that sort of digital. So maybe it's a, a quiz or a form, which you could do very simply with like, you know, SurveyMonkey or Google Forms, you know, totally for free that you send out digitally and you offer people some sort of digital incentive. Maybe it's a coupon code. Um, it might be, a, a, again, a, an Amazon gift card is a really common giveaway that's sort of, you know, all purpose for everyone. Um, but so there's, there's sort of different ways to approach it depending on how much time, effort, and other resources you want to put toward it. The idea is it shouldn't be overwhelming and intimidating to the point where it puts you out incredibly, or it's going to prevent you from doing other things important for your business. So find the level that's acceptable for you. That's going to work with your resources. Um, and, and just remember that the real key is not what your prize is or how many people participate, but just you're really trying to get to know your customers better so that you can better serve them with the content you create. Is there a level of like statistical significance that you kind of rely on? Because I can think of it like from the perspective of like, imagine you're a business and you feel like you know who your customers are. And then you have like three people come in and they complain about a certain something. And then you go ahead and make these broad sweeping changes. And it offsets like the, you know, other 97% of whatever of the uh, customers that you have. Yeah. I can imagine there's got to be a certain level at which you kind of put confidence in it or not. I think I, I'd assume you would agree that it's probably better to have something than nothing, right? Like getting any sort of feedback from your customers, like, well, that's a data point that I can play with. But right. as far as like making broad sweeping changes or adjusting your content strategy or really changing the focus of, of how you message yourself, and imagine there comes a point where there's kind of a tipping that, that you would suggest. Yeah. So you, it, you're spot on. I, I'm not a statistician, so I'm not going to tell you that it's got to be this many standard deviations, right? Like I, we're not going to get that serious about it. Most of the not us who are- check you on it anyway. <laughs> I'd be, uh, that sounds right. That's a bell curve, right? <laughs> well, and most of us who are going to end up doing these things are similarly not coming from that kind of background. So what I would say is it's important to remember that the, the feedback you get from your customers is not a direct it's a data point, like you said, right? So just because a customer walks in and says, I really want you to produce blah, 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 or I think you should make widget X, or I really wish that you offered this kind of service, doesn't mean that you need to immediately turn around and do it, right? That is one data point that you should look at in the broad scope of all the other data points that you get. And like anything else in your business or in your marketing, especially, you want to test things out. So, you know, look to some of the, the common examples out there, you know, the, you know, Pat Flynn's Will It Fly? Like, look at ways to validate your marketplace. Look at ways to test things out, to do a minimum viable product and see if there's interest. Don't have one focus group with five people and then completely change your brand, your product set, and the way you operate your business. It's not, not a smart move with, with any, you know, major changes like that all at once. Yeah, makes sense. So when you have that data then, kind of what do you do with that? So once you get a little bit of information back from a customer and, and let me actually say this differently. Now, what do you do? 
what should the business owner do thinking as you think? How do you go about taking that information and starting to see a story in that versus just seeing like a complaint or a suggestion or whatever? Like, how do you turn that into something that's compelling, that's interesting, that's worth clicking on and not just scrolling past? Right. So the the question that I would encourage you to ask when you're looking at the data points, some of it, like you said, some of it's going to be people shaking their fists at the clouds. Like some of it is just people complaining and that really, you know, you're not their therapist, you're not their partner in life to help solve all of their problems. Um, But, you know, what the question I would ask with each piece of feedback or each data point that you see, especially if you're seeing it pop up many times or similar feedback popping up many times is to ask, is there a way for me to address this issue through content? So that's the question. Is there a way to address this issue through content? So if, for example, you're seeing a common objection that comes up many times, well, I've never bought that because it's too expensive, or I didn't think, I don't think I can afford that, or just straight up, I can't afford that. And you are looking at that data saying, man, I know that's not true. I know that this is within their budget. It's, you know, on par with other products that they say that they're buying. So the question you can ask is, okay, how can I address this issue through content? Sounds like I need to create some content that clarifies our price point. Sounds like I need to make our, you know, product pages, the content on our product pages needs to be more clear about what this costs because it seems that people think it's more expensive than it is. How can I um, be a part of a conversation on social media that indicates the level of investment that is or is not required for this particular product, right? So if you're having, if you're asking yourself that question, you know, how can I address this through content or can I address this through content? It'll sort of lead you down the right kind of brainstorm to see, is there something I could make that would address this um, from a content perspective? And, you know, one of the things I always suggest too is um, if there are other departments that are perhaps impacted by some of the feedback you get, definitely share that, right? You can't solve a product problem with content. You can't solve a sales problem with content. You can solve some sales problems and some customer service problems, but there, there may genuinely be problems that arise in your focus group, you know, things that come up in the data that you can share with other departments to execute on. So don't feel like you have to solve every single problem with the most genius blog post in the world. Uh, that's not going to stop, you know, the the pipes from clogging up in your product or something like that. Yeah, I love that you brought that up too because one of the things that I was immediately thinking as you were talking about this is that it it can always sound when we say content like we're talking exclusively about marketing. <clears throat> and something I've tried to yeah. always dispel the myth with my clients has been you can use content in your recruiting campaigns, you can use it as a method of <clears throat> like sales resources or content. Uh, customer service, providing content that shows customers how to use a particular product or service that's a content play. Yeah. So it's important to to take it out of just being in the marketing realm and think, I like the way you phrase it, can content kind of solve this problem? Yeah, 100%. And I think when you think about it that way, it does really encourage you to think outside the box too, because, you know, so much of what we get stuck in when we're doing content, I feel is like the same we fall into the same habits, right? Where it's like, okay, it's another blog post or like, oh, it's Wednesday time for a video. Right. And you can kind of get stuck in this rut of creating the same kinds of things over and over again and lose track of really easy novel ways to communicate with your audience. And you may be missing easy opportunities. So when you start with the problem, instead of, as we often do, starting with the format of the content, right? How do I make a blog post or how do I make a video about this? Um, it, it, It lets you really focus on the purpose of that content because you're starting with the why and not the how. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm I'm one thousand percent, hundred or a thousand. One of those in your camp on that. Um, I think that. So you kind of alluded to the mindset of like it's just so like it's Wednesday. It's just another blog post or it's Monday. 
that kind of, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some of those uh, common mistakes because what we're talking about is like, here's how to do it well and this and that. But I feel like a lot of that has to be really weighed against and com- contrasted against what the kind of common wisdom is that people do that tends not to work for them. So you're talking about finding relevancy by actually talking to your customers, which I mean, mind blown, right? Like (laughs) seems like so obvious and yet so few companies do it. They just churn out unremarkable stuff and then they wonder why nobody cares. What are some of the other things that uh, through the work that you're doing and the framework that you're developing are some of the kind of pitfalls that you're hoping people can avoid? Yeah, I mean, I think there's some really common ones, and, and I'm not the only person, you know, hoping to to dispel some of these myths. But um, one of the major ones is people feel a pressure to be everywhere, and so they create mediocre content in a lot of places instead of really focusing in in one place. And I'll just give you an example. Um, you know, we we literally have a term for people who focus their efforts on YouTube, right? YouTubers, right? And no one is criticizing the YouTubers, you know, to the ends of the earth for saying, wow, they really have a a horrible Instagram strategy or like they're not doing enough blogging, right? Because where's their podcast? We understand that they have a niche, they have a real skill set, and they have one particular type of content that they're very skilled in creating. So you can be the same way with your brand, with your marketing. Obviously, there's a little bit more incentive for you as a business owner to try to have some presence in many places. But I don't think too many people expect for most of us at the level of business that we're operating, if you're not, you know, Coca-Cola or Ford, you know, the expectation is not that you have fabulous, regular, high budget content on every platform that's ever existed every single day, right? So, um, you know, that that pressure to feel like if I can't be everywhere, then I, I might as well do nothing is is sometimes paralyzing. So I would say it's it's better for you to focus somewhere and create something of quality consistently than to get caught up in this idea that, okay, I, in the next two days, I need to launch, a, you know, a YouTube series and an Instagram strategy, and I've got to do Facebook lives every week, you know, and, and kind of overburden yourself with this pressure to create amazing content everywhere all the time. Like that is just not realistic for any of us. Um, so that, that's a big one that I see a lot. Yeah. And I, and I, I don't want to like point fingers at anyone on this, but they feel a little bit like that's the Gary V effect to a certain extent where like he's so uh, prolific and all over the place and his content is so high quality, but people forget he has an entire team that's helping right. him with that. Um, right. But, you know, he's got a very strong, uh, you know, it, it's not his idea, but like the idea of content atomization, like taking one really solid piece of content, turning it into a bunch of little yeah. pieces and putting them everywhere is I think a really smart strategy. But I think to make that work, kind of to your point, you have to have a central home base of quality that everything else is atomized from. And I think that's where people get kind of lost in the sauce. They think I have to be everywhere. I have to put something everywhere. And they forget that like what matters most is to actually have something worthwhile saying in the first place. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're, you're totally right that the, the thing about Gary V too, to remember is that like he started somewhere Gary V as he is now is the present day evolution after years of AB testing years of hiring people yep. of honing his voice of building his content cash right when he started it was wine library TV and it was one topic in one format produced consistently and that's how he built his base right so you want to do the same thing you, you can't launch tomorrow and have Gary V level proficiency that he creates with them you know I, I don't even know what is it a 50 person team he's got creating all of his content strategy now you know you, you can't expect that of yourself it's unrealistic you'll always be <laughs> disappointed so start more realistically figure out what's going to make sense for you um, but this is 
tightly related to the other misconception that we see a lot, like the pit common pitfall, and that is lack of consistency. And I'm saying this with full knowledge that some of you would go look at some of my channels and see that I do not always practice this. Um, but I'm going to pull that card and say, I have a six month old, give me a break. Right. But, uh, <laughs> but consistency is really important. And so, you know, I think a lot of people think, okay, I'm going to make one white paper a year. I'm going to launch our big quarterly, you know, a big report or a, you know, a quarterly report four times a year and then go silent in between. And like, imagine if your favorite TV show just randomly dropped an episode whenever they felt like it, like how could you possibly follow along, right? The whole magic of all these things that we fall in love with, whether it's a TV show or, you know, a, a series of movies, um, you know, or, or a podcast is that it comes out regularly. So it comes out regularly. So you have a reason to keep coming back, right? You know when to expect it, you know what's coming and you know when it's coming. So you need to kind of give that same cadence to your audience, right? Give them a reason to keep coming back, to subscribe, to engage, because they know that you're going to be there the next time they want some more cool content from you. Yeah, 100%. And, and I want to say that I think that there's a second factor that's directly related to that which is also consistency. So when you say consistency, you were talking about consistency and frequency and yep. sort of like making sure that you show up on a regular basis, which I think comes uh, to the, the consistency that I'm talking about, which is consistency of the message, consistency of the ideas, consistency of basically both of these are the audience is going to have certain expectations and you want to make sure that you are meeting those expectations, whether that is when you show up or how you show up, there's got to be some sort of a way that you're being consistent with people because otherwise you're just, you're creating a, and not that chaos can't work. I mean, I guess some, maybe if chaos is your consistency that like, it's always different then that works. But I think otherwise, especially as like a brand, that's a tougher thing to pull off than saying like, here's who we are and here's what we're all about. Right. Which actually leads me to kind of the point that I, I want to kind of double back on. We were talking a little bit earlier about, um, you know, how brands create content and how companies create content. And, you know, you specialize in this world of branded journalism, right? Which I think inherent in it talks about brand. How much do you work with the client on actually understanding? Because it must be really hard to do branded journalism if the brand doesn't know who the hell they are. Yeah. So that that's a really big question. You know, I, I sometimes will get people who approach me saying like, can you help us figure out our brand? Um, yeah. And usually my my reply is, is no, that, that that's a little bit deeper work that needs to happen internal to the company. I can't tell you, you know, as a content strategist, what your values are or what your company culture is like or what your vision for your company is, right? Like those things, the mission statement, the vision, all of that really needs to come from the higher ups. It needs to come from shared values and it needs to come from someone probably closer to the inside of the company than me. Uh, once you know who you are, I can help you share that through content, right? So I sometimes will play a role if there's an agency or an initiative internally to figure out that whole brand voice. I can play a role in seeing how does that come to life through content. So, you know, it's often like a companion project. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I can't, I can't help you have a conversation with people if you don't even know uh, who you are. That, that's that's going to be a, a major challenge. Yeah, I mean, it's like, how can you love somebody else if you don't love yourself? It's, it's <laughs> one of those same sorts of things, right? Where like, you, you can't have a consistent message, you can't have cohesiveness through all of your different um, 
pieces of content or even just how you treat your employees and your customers if you don't first know who you are. So uh, this is just a call to action. Everyone listen to the episodes I did with uh, Deb Gabor, with Lindsay Peterson, and with Q Xavier, all great brand episodes on Shareable. Um, Also, if you don't know any of them, I should totally introduce you. They're all awesome. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so, so back to this idea of creating great, consistent branded content. So we started out with the idea that you can ask your uh, customers what, you know, what's going on with them. You can talk to them about it. Um, I want to see if there's any other uh, sort of starting points we may have overlooked, but from there you then look for, can we use content to solve this particular problem? And then how do we implement it in a way that is consistent across all the different types of things we're doing. Yeah. One is anything else we're missing on the kind of initial ideation side. I'm sure there's hundreds of things, but like, so many what, what, yeah. Uh, but like, aside from like talking to your customers, what are yeah. some other just kind of quick tips for like how to start the process going? So this, this may be a little further into the second process, you know, like the second phase, I guess, but I think it's really important to know that it exists up front so that you don't become overwhelmed. So one of the things that often comes up when we see like similar types of questions in those focus groups or in your research when you're looking into customer questions and needs um, is is this idea that there's there's sort of a categories or buckets of content right where it's it's very similar content and so my recommendation is always to see I call them franchises right so things that show up a little bit differently in different places but you always know you're going to get the same sort of thing Um, so coming up with content franchises not only helps you as a creator as a strategist know what to make when um, but it helps your audience know what to expect so an example of this might be like mailbag Mondays where you answer customer questions you know that are sent into you via email or something on Mondays or uh gluten-free Fridays where you release, you know, gluten-free recipes every Friday or something like that, right? So it doesn't have to have a catchy name that has, you know, similar sounding words. Um, And it doesn't even have to be public facing that you've named this franchise, right? They may just come to expect certain types of content from you, but it's helpful for you to know, okay, gluten-free Fridays, that means I need 52 gluten-free recipes to package for a whole year. Once I have those, I have a whole year's worth of my content for Friday, right? So by having those franchises, those recurring themes or buckets or categories, whatever's comfortable for you to call them, it really helps the whole process feel way less intimidating. And knowing that you're trying to create those buckets is sometimes a helpful way of looking at the feedback and all the all the questions that you find to say, well, what are similar ways we could group this stuff so that when it comes time to show up consistently and take all that data and turn it into content, you know, sometimes putting it into those buckets and, and finding those franchises is an easy way to organize all that all that feedback. Yeah, and that's actually a great tip, not just from like an ideation standpoint, but it's also actually really helpful when it comes to your SEO because uh, the way some of the most successful content uh, websites are now built is around these idea of like content topic clusters where you kind of have like, uh, like, let's say your your content topic cluster would be recipes. And then from there, you might have like gluten-free, vegetarian, carnivore, and keto, right? And Mediterranean. And then out of those, you'll have like your different spokes. So it's like this hub and spoke model. And that works really nicely because when I do a lot of my ideating with clients, I I know that both you and I are both big fans of whiteboards. Um, But like for me, I find mind mapping is one of the easiest ways for me to better kind of get the brainstorm flowing for myself and for my the people I'm working with because it allows you kind of let one idea naturally flow from one to the other and you start to bucket them together. And even as you were talking about like your, your mailbag Fridays, let's say, I was thinking like, okay, so you need 52 if you do it that way. But if once a quarter you did best of mail blog Fridays, well, now you've got 48 that you need. And then like you could say like you could then group those 48. 
yeah, and you could take those other 48 and bucket them by season. So now you've got spring, summer. and So exactly. all of that sort of stuff, it's like when you think about these ideas, start like go completely buck wild and then start trying to bucket them into these smaller categories and right. see what kind of patterns emerge. The other thing closely related, and I know we're just sort of riffing here, but I think it's all good yeah. stuff is, uh, is the idea of batching your content. So for example, if you know that you have to have that many recipes or, or, you know, the mailbag thing I think is a little more real time responsive since it involves yeah. questions, but recipes or, you know, tutorials or whatever other kind of content you can create that in advance or, you know, Theoretically, if you were going to release, you know, a gluten-free, you know, recipe every Friday, you may already have that in your archives, right? And it's just a matter of choosing and scheduling that content to happen in those ways, um, you know, maybe updating it a little bit. So by batching or creating a bunch of these things in one go and planning it all out, you're not going to feel that, oh my God, it's Thursday at 4 p.m. Tomorrow is gluten-free Friday recipe. I've got nothing. What are we going to make? How am I going to record it? And guess what? I have the flu this week. There's no way I'm touching food, right? So you can really help avoid a lot of the panic and overwhelm that can sometimes come when you're trying to create consistency uh, by, by batching stuff in advance. Yeah, I am a massive fan of batch processing things. I don't do it enough in my own work. Uh, but uh, again, do as I say, not as I do. Uh, but I'm a huge fan of like sitting down and writing out 52 ideas. And you're like, if I schedule these every Friday for the entire year, I'm like, I'm good for the year. It's like the, the satisfaction on the few occasions where I've actually been able to do something like that is like, oh, it's priceless. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. So, well, and sometimes it's overwhelming. You're right. When people are like, oh my God, 52 ideas. How am I going to come up with that? Where do I even start? How do I come up with, you know, and I think, I think you're right. It can feel very overwhelming and having some sort of system. So, you know, the, the mind mapping is a really good system. If that works for you, sometimes people will just try to create an exhaustive list and then revisit that list at separate times with a fresh eyes to see if they can add more to it. Um, or using a system like the content field framework in my book is, is another way to do it. It's just a matter of having a system because I think, unfortunately for a lot of us, we've been conditioned to believe that, that creativity is, this totally mysterious thing that you're either like born with and you have this innate ability uh, or it's totally random and it's luck and it's, you know, a, stri a stroke of genius that you have no control over. And it really, it really takes the wind out of our sails. It takes the agency out of our creative work. And so having some sort of system, whatever works for you, um, you know, having something to rely on makes it so much easier uh, to, to, to batch all that content together and make sure you're going to be able to come up with what you need when you need it. Yeah. It is such a misconception that like creativity is just like a lightning bolt. Um, there's actually a really good Ted talk on it where they talk about um, how creative ideas are often the product of getting a, a large number of people basically together and just letting ideas kind of overlap and crash into each other. Yeah. I talks about like pubs and like the 1700s and stuff like that. Um, and it was a really interesting Ted talk. Um, I am a huge process and framework person. Like it's just as somebody who naturally is ADD and all over the place, I use systems in every area of my life to essentially contain myself from just being like off in the clouds every day all over. Um, I'm a huge fan of mind mapping as, as you mentioned. Um, uh, there's one I just found out that, that I thought was really cool. And I think to your point, like find a system that works for you. Um, I think people are often limited by the options that they know exist rather than all of the options that could exist if they just look out there. So as an example, uh, I'm a, I'm a like stick of dynamite type extrovert. So like if you put me in certain rooms, whether I want to or not, unless I really am like 
very self-aware at the moment, like I can absolutely run rampant over an entire room. So introverts in the room are like, like they need to go home and nap for the weekend after me. So um, my wife actually told me about this technique she just learned about. She just took a, um, uh, was it Columbia or Cornell? It was a Cornell like e-course on like uh, entrepreneurship. Mm. And I had never heard of this. Have you ever heard of brain writing? No. What is brain Oh my God. I think, that, I think that's what it's called. I might be messing up that, but I think that's what it's called. It's essentially brainstorming but that is introvert friendly. So here's how it works. Instead of, so like a normal brainstorm, I would be like, I have a bazillion ideas and yeah. introverts, like, I need to think, I need to go home. So what you do is instead, you give everyone a, a pad of post-it notes and then you ask a question. Everyone writes an idea and then you take everybody's ideas and you put them up there and then you read them all out and then you say, okay, now I want you to go another level deeper and write more. So it Love gives it. essentially the extrovert the ability to just do what they do anyway, which is like, ah, I have so many things to say, but in a quieter fashion, they can contribute and it allows the introverts to have uh, a way that works for them that's not having people like me make their heads explode. Well, I love that. And you're right. There's, there's so many people who have done such great research, you know, in these courses, there's, you know, you can find articles about it. You could find tutorials, games, kits, like there's so much out there, uh, so many different options. So you can definitely find something that works for you, right? Maybe it's brain writing, maybe it's brainstorming, maybe it's having a Google doc where everybody dumps their ideas, right? I mean, there's so many different ways you can approach this, but I think you're right. Having, it just, it, it doesn't really matter what the system is at the end of the day, as long as you have a system, because sitting getting in a room together and going okay what are we doing is not a system right like that that's just it's just not going to happen for you and when when content brainstorming is stressful when you don't have a system it becomes so much less likely that you're going to be consistent that you're going to keep up with it that you're going to you know you're going to be much more likely to fall back on the bad habits that we talked about of like creating something that you saw someone else do already or, you know, creating undifferentiated content, content nobody wants, content that you think is super cool, but you haven't fully thought out whether it's relevant to your customers at all, um, content that's not tied into your overall business goals in any sort of way, and it was just super fun to make. Uh, so, you know, having a system is just, I, I can't stress enough how whatever system you choose, just have one. <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite part of this whole thing? Like not, not this interview, because obviously this is just awesome overall, yeah. but I mean, like working with clients, like what, what's the thing that you just, cause so, so everything that we do as professionals, right? Like there's learned skills and there's natural skills. And there's like things that I'm sure that in this work that you do, you just kind of fell into, you just from day one, you were like, oh, well I can do this really well. Like I'm comfortable with this, whatever. And then there's the things you probably had to like work on as aspects of working with clients. Maybe it was like dealing with difficult clients and like being able to keep your cool. That's something I dealt with. But like there's all these like different things that we have to work on. We do well and what we don't. You are so interested and passionate about these stories that you get to help brands tell and helping them figure it out. I'm curious, like what's the part that like you come home and you were like, I had a great day. Like what's the thing that you're talking that about when you're, when you're talking about that? So the, the thing for me and like this drive so much of what I do is I do I do truly love storytelling I love finding ideas I love telling stories like that is that's what lights me up um, but the only thing that I like even more than that is watching other people fall in love with it like that that transformation for me you know having a room full of skeptical engineers or like sales guys or something like come into a room and be like oh my god a storytelling workshop and then at the end have one of them be like man I've got so many ideas I can't wait to work with our blog team like that moment for me when people 
have a shift and they see themselves as storytellers and they're psyched about it like that's the moment that I absolutely love um and that's what's been really cool for me for the book so I mean it's it's not out yet but we've had some early readers and what was really fun for me is the people in the launch team being like oh my goodness this is not my job title at all this is not my space but I can't wait to go to work tomorrow and share my ideas with our editor with our blog team with our marketing team like when I, I feel like when I watch, it's like, you know, they say like an angel gets his wings. I, I, it's like watching a storyteller get their wings. Like that's, that's the moment for me. Cause I hear that triumphant noise and I'm like, yes, we've got another one. Like we've got a believer. <laughs> I love it. I, I, I dig so much of the same stuff. Like the, the moment where you get somebody enrolled in an idea that they were initially resistant to, that's the most rewarding one. Um, but you know, when you, when you get that impact, when you feel like the work that you did landed, like you, you, you're not doing it all for nothing. Cause there's so many of those losses, especially as a solopreneur, you know, you have those, like those serious letdowns where like you put your heart and soul in a thing and like somebody just didn't get it. And then you have those ones where like, they're just so involved in it. And your, your story really resonates with me, like about the engineers. I was working with a company that does, um, they do they they work in finance. So like, they're not naturally storyteller, excitable, but I brought them in a room and what I did was copy blogger has this segment called magnetic headlines. Um, and it's like a whole guide to writing great headlines. And I was like, I'm, I want to try out like an idea because I wanted to involve my client in building the content strategy. I didn't want to come back with like a bunch of research and ideas and talk to people and like, here's your topics, right? Yeah. So I wanted to get them involved. So I, I talked to them and we got kind of like our, our buckets together. And then I handed them the magnetic headlines guide. And it was all of the, like, it was like 38 different headline formulas. And I was like, here are our topics. Go, give me, like, use the headline formula. Give me some headlines of things. And there are these like lawyers and finance people in the room, just jazz to come up with like, you know, like the sort of headline that you would see if, if, you know, Cosmopolitan was a, uh, a financial magazine. Yeah. They were so jazzed. And it honestly, it was one of the more rewarding experiences when I had my agency was that that time that I got these people all really super jazzed about coming up with headlines. That's like, that would be like me getting really jazzed about a spreadsheet. <laughs> you know, like, Oh yeah. Numbers line up. You know, you know what it is? And I think like part of the magic of it is that in some cases we're changing a fundamental belief that someone has about themselves, right? Like we, like yeah. I, I, it's a limiting belief. Like I'll, I'll share openly. I, I didn't do well in math when I was in, in school, right? I was always drawn more to literature and English and writing. Like those are, you look at my SAT scores, it's a very sharp slant, like, you know, yeah. two very different categories for me, right? And so I had this belief, you know, for a long time that like, I'm not good at math, right? And in my adult life, I was able to find tools and, and help to kind of help me get past that. It's still not my superpower, but you know, I no longer will characterize myself that way. And for so many people, I'm not a creative, I'm not, you know, clever, I can't write witty headlines like that. They, they, they think it's a, a reflection of themselves that they've not been taught how to use that muscle, right. And so to have someone come into that room thinking like, this is useless, this is not for me, I can't benefit from this, because I'm not x, right, to have them walk out of that room feeling like, wow, I, I'm clever. I can write punny headlines or like, I'm, I'm funny. I'm, I'm quick witted. Like those changes, like it, sometimes it feels so much bigger because it's not just like a new job function that they can do, but a, a shift in the way they think about themselves and their capabilities. And that to me is magical. I completely agree with you. It's like so heartwarming when you see someone 
believe that they're capable of more than they thought than what they thought they were. And it's actually the whole reason I started the Superhero Institute is that for me, like one of my greatest joys in life is seeing someone like get something, like whatever it is. Like I don't even care what it is, but typically it's something where like they understand a new thing and I know that they're going to go and take that and do better in some aspect of their life because they now have this new superpower that they've learned. Like that to me, like nothing jazzes me up more than seeing somebody feel empowered. Um, so I am 100% with you. And that kind of impact is massive. Well, and it's, it's interesting for me. I, I wonder if you feel the same thing is that it, it's a shift for you as a, as a business owner or educator or thought leader, you know, as the, the person delivering this, right? It's a definite change because I spent a good amount of the early part of my entrepreneurial career really focused on tactics. And so you still get that, but you get it in tiny bits. It's like I showed someone a new tool or they're going to go try that thing. But all of it is short-lived, right? Like trying a tool is useful for the five minutes a week that they need to do that very minute task. And you might save them a few minutes, but it's not transformative. And so I think when you make a shift in your work where you go from teaching people how to do things to teaching people how to think differently, you even feel it as the person sharing that message. You, you feel your impact magnify, you know? Yeah, of course. Be- and that is exactly it because what you're, and this is back to what we talked about at the very beginning about the hunter, right? And being able to see things. If you can change the way that people perceive the world around them, you can change everything about their world. And I know it's like grandiose for like, we're talking about content strategy here. But <laughs> like, I, I really do believe it though. And, and even within content strategy, if you can change the way that somebody sees what their responsibility is as a creator to their audience, you can absolutely change the entire outcome of how their content is received, which can in turn change the revenue that they generate, which in turn changes how they can give back or where they take the next phase of their career or whatever. So I 100% believe in that. Well, and that's, it's interesting. You know, you mentioned brand journalism. It's actually not a phrase that I use often anymore. And I think part of that, obviously the, the perception of journalists has changed in our current cultural and political environment. So that's one thing worth noting. Um, But I think it really, for me, it was more of a mindset and not a, not a, um, it wasn't a list of tactics, right? So I wasn't, I'm not trying to teach brands to like actually be journalists or, you know, I don't want them to identify as journalists. They are not journalists, right? But I want them to think of that mindset. I want them to think a little bit differently. So to me, the goal is not necessarily that every piece of brand content we create rises to the level of journalism, but that in tiny ways, you know, as we're, as we're interviewing a source, right. And, and saying, how can I bring a reputable source in here that there's just a little bit of journalistic like sprinkles put on top of our recipe, right. That's, that's the idea is just to shift the thinking a little bit. Um, so, you know, it, it, it doesn't have to be a, a complete transformation, but that, where I started, you know, is trying to say, how could we sprinkle a little bit of journalistic thinking, a little bit of that approach into it? And I think this new approach, talking about how you generate ideas, how you can activate your creativity through structure, um, you know, is a, is a little bit of a, a bigger ask for people. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I think the whole... Journalism, I feel like you and I could have like a whole long conversation on, on journalism because – so I just had a, a, like a two-hour conversation with a friend of mine about journalism versus news. Mm. Uh, sort of like there's another topic, uh, history versus the past. Mm. Um, like two similar related things but very different. Like to me, I see journalism as basically a set of standards. Mm-hmm. It's a way of doing a thing, a way of telling stories, a way of looking into things yep. that has a certain structure. And so like the news is a different thing. That is basically the – the product. The, yeah. spun 
output of journalism, yep. right? So we could have a, a very long conversation on that. But I don't want to get into that. We'll do that another time. Maybe we'll do that <laughs> offline. I don't know. But I want to talk about impact because I think a natural progression of us talking about the impact of our work, I want to talk about the impact of your work, which is in perusing your website, I see that there's a lot there about what you want your work to mean in terms of how you give back mm -hmm. and the sort of things that you're involved in. So at just to kind of set the the ground for anybody listening, talk to me a little bit about like what your commitment is as far as giving back. What are some of the causes that are important to you yeah. and, and why? And um, and I just want to riff from there a little bit because I'm a big fan of where we're, if we're going to save what capitalism has to offer, I think we have to start being more conscious about things. We have to start giving back. We have to start, and not for the sake of PR, but for like, because it actually freaking matters to us. So I see that come through on your site. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that was really important for me is remembering what's important to me. Uh, and I know that was a little, little bit of word salad there, but, uh, <laughs> but what I mean is that like, it's, it's very easy when you're an entrepreneur and you are focused on business and bottom line and making money all the time to kind of lose sight of why you got into this in the first place. And so for me, trying to find even small ways to make sure my values are lived out in the business that I create, you know, is really important to me. And so I do that in a couple different ways. And, you know, I don't know exactly which parts of the site you're looking at, but, you know, I'm, I'm very env environmentally conscious, you know, I'm not perfect by any stretch. I don't claim to be zero waste or like, you know, carbon neutral. That's, that's not uh, feasible for me at my current state, but I'm doing the best with what I can. So, you know, we try really hard in our home to, to be minimal about the things that we have here. We're, uh, you know, crazy about recycling. Um, and so I try as much as I can, especially when I'm traveling and going to conferences, which is, you know, not the most environmentally friendly uh, industry to be in, to find little ways to do that. So I always have in my bag, I have a reusable straw, I have a reusable uh, spork that I use, you know, whenever I'm doing takeout or something. Um, I have a, you know, reusable coffee mug that I, I try my best to remember. It doesn't always fit in my carry-on and my my personal item, which is a challenge. So looking for new recommendations there. Um, you know, I try to, I do little, I mean, little ways that you can just try to make sure, you know, we do all digital invoicing and we try to minimize the amount of paperwork and printing that we do as a company, just to, you know, tiny things we can do to, to be more environmentally conscious. Um, and we also every quarter purchase a, a carbon offset. So we basically invest in, uh, you know, it's a small amount, but invest in projects that, you know, support the environment in a way that offsets the carbon emissions of any planes, trains, uh, and automobiles that we would have used over the course of that quarter. So just looking for ways, you know, the environment is obviously we get one earth. Uh, and so, you know, I want to make sure that I'm not leaving it worse off than I found it to the best of my abilities. Um, and so those are some of the, the little things that I do uh, to try to make sure that I'm, I'm at least being conscious of that in my day-to-day -day life. I think that's really awesome that you do that. And what I got from the page on your website uh, and from that explanation is that it comes from a, a, a I hate to use the word authentic because that word just feels loaded to me these <laughs> days, but um, like, I feel like you're doing it for the reason that it's important to you and you would do it no matter what. And that yeah. it's, it's like, it's not a, it's not about the money. And there's like this whole world of like woke brands these days that are like doing the things because they want to be perceived in a certain way. And I feel like yeah. even by the way you tell 
the fact that you're doing those things. It's not to be like a look at me. It's like a, this is what's important to me if you want to yeah. know about it. Right. So I, well, I, just, I was I surprised you even that. found that page because it's not in the navigation bar. Like it's, it's hidden away uh, for when people ask, you know, do we have any causes? Are we aligned with anything? It's like, yeah, okay, it's, it's here. I can give it to you. But it's not like, it's not on our about page. You know, it's not, we're not like proudly proclaiming it. It's really just to be able to answer that question that the audience has. I mean, there's a couple other uh, small things that we do. Um, Education is very important to me. So I am a first generation college student and I was very blessed to receive a number of different scholarships and other forms of support that helped me get through school. So uh, I make it a point to speak whenever I can to college courses uh, and, and to college students. Um, you know, if I can help them in their journey, if they're considering coming into content strategy, um, and I often do that at no or at a reduced fee. So uh, just to, to, hold the horses of anybody who's going to send me 50 emails requesting that I speak to your class. I do have limits. So I, you know, because I have to, you know, support my family as well. Uh, I, I make sure I try to do it at least once a quarter. So I, you know, I may need to book it out several semesters in advance, but I, I try my best to make myself available, uh, for college students. So I can, you know, do my part in supporting that. Um, I also run a mastermind. So I run the brand storyteller mastermind and I always have one seat in that, uh, that is, a, I call it a scholarship, so a creator scholarship, and the idea would be it's someone who's in a position where they would really benefit from being a part of the group, but they're maybe not in a position to get themselves into the group, and so it might be, you know, in the past we've had it, someone who works at a nonprofit, you know, where there's, you know, benefit to them being a part of it, uh, a student perhaps if they just can't afford to be a part of it, but they're making a career transition, uh, we've had people who are recently laid off who are in need of a career transition, so just trying to find a way to see how can I make this accessible to people who are, you know, in a position to really benefit from, from learning, you know? Yeah, I love it. Well, just cards on the table. Uh, I am fully planning to steal some of those ideas because I just, I, I believe that. So like I have a mastermind and I'm beginning for the superhero Institute and I love the idea of the scholarship. So I'm probably going to take that idea just so you know, I'm yeah. telling everyone right here on Please the air. Do. I hope more, yeah. I wish more people would, uh, yeah. you know, and the one, th the one thing that I always, uh, that is important is, I make sure that nobody in the group knows who got it. It's not uh, because it's not performative, right? We're not doing it to feel good to say, look, I, I allowed this person into this sphere, right? No, this person deserves to be part of this sphere uh, and they need deserve to feel like they are part of this sphere. So we're not going to, you know, sort of other them in this way of like labeling them, you know, that's, that's not the goal at all. So, um, you know, making sure that that person feels just as much a part of the group as anyone else. Yeah, I love it. I also, um, I know that you're doing some work with a women's organization. Um, I really align with that because for me, homelessness is like the thing that breaks my heart more than anything yeah. else. in the world. So um, while I don't have it all up and running yet, because I literally just started my business like January 1st, basically, um, mm -hmm. officially. Um, uh, but I do plan to uh, get something going where like a portion of funds or, or something that we do uh, goes to benefit that. So that's another thing that I saw that and I was like, that's really, really cool. Yeah. So this particular issue, um, you know, I think no secret, I am a woman and I'm a woman in, in the industry. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, and now I'm a mom. And so I, I'm a mom of a daughter even more so. And so I, I am very, very aware of issues that face women more than men, you know, of challenges that women may encounter that are, are not always, we're not, even we're not always aware of. And so this is a particular issue close to my heart. One of the things that I learned a few years ago that really struck me is that 
women who are homeless or underprivileged or you know otherwise going through tough times that securing menstrual products is one of the major challenges right these are very expensive and yet very necessary we don't have a choice and so yeah. you know it was one of those things that had never occurred to me i've been blessed never to be in that position uh, but once i learned about it it was i couldn't ignore it that this is a very easy way for me to make a meaningful difference in people's lives and um uh, a few years ago, I was actually at a conference. I was the um, professional—I forget the the, uh, the name of it—but it, it was for meeting planners, right? It was PCMA is the group, uh, and they they had actually a session at the conference where they were assembling what they called period kits. So you could volunteer if you had downtime in your agenda to go over and put products into a bag and staple it up, and those would be donated to a uh, a local, you know with people in need essentially at different shelters and, and organizations and so it occurred to me that that's something that was very very easy to do right this is like when we think about the things we spend money on and how that money could be repurposed for something that has a much bigger impact on someone's life uh it was a personal project i took on to sort of repeat that at home so i actually wrote a medium post about this i can give the link in case people care but um i i found out from Amazon, I did some very strategic shopping, and um, we were able to make a couple hundred kits that, you know, the bag, the little paper bag contained everything a woman would need for one monthly cycle, and we were able to donate, you know, a couple hundred of those to our local shelter, um, and it was incredibly easy to do. Like, it costs under $200. It's so easy to make such a massive impact, you know, and so uh, that's something we try to do, you know, whenever we can. Uh, I'm hoping we, we can do more, and I think we were being candid earlier talking about, I'm, I'm building my business back, having just come back from maternity leave. And so uh, the ways in which we can give back are probably a little more limited, you know, the first half of this year until we get things back up and running. But, um, you know, we're, we're always looking for, for ways we can do that and keep living those values. Awesome. Well, I super support it. I think it's really cool that you're doing it. Um, I want to, the last topic I want to talk about with, uh, with you today and, and, you know, this has been just as enjoyable as the first conversation. So if you want to come back and when you write your second or third book, you definitely have a follow-up book in you uh, about brand journalism that goes the next level deeper yeah. about you know, the, the journalism side of things. But I want to talk to you a little bit about this, you know, maternity leave and coming back. I mean, I think on the one hand, you have a unique perspective as an entrepreneur that took maternity leave. Yeah. That is a whole different thing than somebody who works for a company that takes maternity leave, yeah. often with they don't get any. Um, so like there's this whole thing. So you you stepped away from your business, which is such a tough decision to do at any point for an entrepreneur. Sometimes even weekends are tough to take uh -huh. off. And you stepped away to take maternity leave. One, want to talk about that. And two, I want to talk to you to kind of just talk a little bit about what your experience is, really just what your experience has been like from the, from throughout this whole process of being able to maintain and keep a business and also have a child. Yeah. So I will preface this by saying that no one should take, you know, we talked about take this as a, a data point and not a directive, you yeah. know, worked for me and my family uh, and what we did, you know, whether it worked or not is not necessarily what's right for you. Um, I recognize that I'm very blessed to live in the part of the country where I do. I'm in New York, so there are a lot of opportunities that are local for me and easier for me to engage with uh, than someone who may be some, some other place, right? So um, when I say I took maternity leave, what I mean is I was not going to the office every day. 
for the months leading up to when my daughter was born and the few months after. So just for some some clarity here, she was born at the end of August. Um, I did not speak in July, August, September, or October, right? So the first, very first few gigs that I did, October, November, December, were all local, and there were only three of them. Uh, so it was very, very like I'm going into New York City on a train and coming home just a few hours later. So it allowed me to really take a slow test and test and adapt approach back into the, into business. Um, I didn't start going back to the office. Currently, I go to the office five five days a week. I have a co working space that I use since my office is now a nursery. Um, until midway through January, I started going back to work. So that was a pretty long break of not operating at maximum capacity. And even now, I wouldn't say I'm operating at maximum capacity. I'm working my way back up, right? Um, that was scary. And I will be honest in saying that it was more difficult than I probably anticipated or could have guessed, as you were saying, right? We have no, you don't have no idea what parenthood is like until you're in it. You know, you have all these, all these plans and, and you imagine, but you don't really know until you're there. Um, for anyone who's in that same situation, the one thing I would really strongly recommend is having a firm end date or a firm transition point by which you are ending your maternity leave frame of mind and going back into work mode. Because I didn't have a date. I didn't have a hard and fast, like as of January 7th, I'm back in the office five days a week. And that made the transition a little bit harder because I sort of had to wait until I was overwhelmed or wait until I was behind or wait until I missed it to really have the impetus to make the change, right? So um, even though you aren't limited by a day job that says you get exactly 12 weeks, no more, no less, you should set a deadline for yourself so that you can know to make the appropriate preparations, whether that's childcare or, you know, some, some other situation uh, to, to make that change happen. I think when you create your own schedule, it's really easy to forget that you need to give yourself a back to work date. Um, and that, that makes it harder. Um, so that was, that was definitely a lesson learned. Um, what else have I learned? I mean, I think one of the things that was also challenging for me is I wasn't seeing a lot of people like me doing what I was doing. Um, and that obviously comes from a, a privileged place of being, you know, a, a middle-class white uh, person and that there's definitely more diversity or more representation for me than others who may be in a different situation. But by what I mean by that is I wasn't seeing, you know, keynote speakers performing at the types of events or at the level that I'm performing who had young, young children. You know, not, there's not many of us, right? There are a few. And since I've had a baby and been vocal about not knowing any others, we've found ourselves through introductions, right? Uh, found one another. But that was really challenging for me when I, I remember being pregnant and thinking, if I can't see people who are doing it, is it because it's not possible, right? Like if I don't see speakers, moms who have a three or four month old at home who are on stage at a conference, is it because you can't do it? You know, is that, is, am I, am I putting myself on mater permanent maternity leave without realizing it? Right. So that was definitely stressful and challenging for me is wondering like, is this even possible? Is the reason I can't find an example of this because it can't be done? Um, I think it can be done. I think I'm, I'm still figuring it out, right? I'm only six months in, um, but we're finding systems and, and means of making it work uh, that so far are working and we'll continue to A-B test and iterate and see where we end up, you know? Well, I think it's great that you're 
sharing it and you're sharing it openly because yeah. I, I think you kind of really nicely tied up what the case is for diversity, inclusion, and representation, which is that if you don't see it, you don't necessarily know that it can exist. And the experience that you had of not necessarily seeing people who are pregnant in your position doing your sort of thing, if they're not there, the thought could be, well, maybe it's just not a possibility. So I think it was, it's, a, it's a really nice way of kind of illustrating the point. Um, is there anything that you would do differently than you did? I mean, aside from setting the end date, like um, specifically as being an entrepreneur, own yeah. every business, pregnant baby, maternity leave, the whole thing, you, you're all you're playing it by ear, right? Like I'm about to be dropped in that deep end of the pool and try and figure all yeah. this stuff out too. Like, will I be able to still do work? Um, so like what sort of things, if you looked back on it, you know, if, if you decided to have a second child or if you could just go back and talk to yourself on, for the first child, like what's the thing you'd be like, Melanie, don't forget X. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the piece of advice I gave about like you make your own schedule. So give yourself a date. You're going to start making some changes and getting back into your old routine or, or whatever your new routine looks like. Right. So give yourself that date. I think that would have made a world of difference for me. Um, the other thing that, and, and this is a little more vague so hopefully people can interpret this in, in whatever way is helpful for them I think that I could have advocated for myself a little bit better uh professionally and maybe not counted myself out of so many opportunities I think um obviously as a, as a new parent and particularly when when you're expecting um you never really know what kind of energy levels you'll have or how physically well you'll be feeling um but I think I put myself maybe on the sidelines in certain situations or, you know, said turn down certain opportunities that in retrospect, um, I probably didn't have to do that or I didn't have to do it as soon as I did. And um, obviously you live and you learn. And so next time around, I'm, you know, assuming everything goes equally as well. I'll, I'll have a better understanding of what those limits are. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there hit a point in my business where I stopped booking gigs, for example, you know, in June or July, because I thought, well, I don't know how I'll be feeling. So I guess I just won't do anything. And I think that, um, you know, there's, there's other ways to account for that than, than just counting yourself out, you know, sort of taking yourself out of the equation. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, again, that's kind of vague advice, but whatever that means for you in your life, you know, sort of don't count yourself out too soon. Because I think while a lot of your listeners may not be going through having a, a young baby soon or, or going through pregnancy, you're probably going to have other interruptions in your business, whether it's like, you know, caring for an ailing parent or, you know, you have to move. And so that requires you to take some time off or, you know, maybe you have some sort of other health issue that requires you to sort of take a step back. Uh, hopefully there's something you can take from that as, you know, not to let yourself make a, a turn without any plan to get back on track. So having that sort of end date by when you want to at least reevaluate your situation. Um, and also just, yeah, just don't count yourself out too soon. Don't assume that it's all, it's all dead and over uh, just because you've had to, to make a temporary adjustment. Well, shit, I think that's good life advice. <laughs> you know, like, don't count yourself out. You might yeah. be stronger than you think you are. Yeah. Um, well, it's been an absolute blast talking to you. Um, before I let you go, a uh, couple things. One, I know that your book isn't out yet, but you're probably starting your book tour and going out there and letting people know about it. So given that I didn't know that you were writing the book and launching it, uh, but it perfectly <laughs> dovetailed into what I wanted to talk about anyway. Um, if there's anything that I didn't ask you about by being completely unprepared that you have a book, <laughs> 
anything that you'd like to tell people about the book, why they should buy it, what's in it, what they'll get out of it, or anything that you wish that I asked you that you just want to take a second and talk about, uh, that would be kind of point one. And then point two is just letting people know where they can go and learn more about you, connect with you online, hire you, see you speak, whatever. Sure. Yeah. So, um, the, to, to your first point about the book, I mean, we had a, a really good conversation about it. The one thing I want to stress is that this book is useful for you no matter what kind of content you create and no matter what kind of business or entity you are, right? So this is not only a book for people who are former, formally marketers in their day jobs. You know, this can be used if you're an influencer, if you're an author, if you're a thought leader, if you're a blogger, a YouTuber, if you're a local business, like if you create content of any type, email, print, video, whatever, to communicate with your audience, you will get something from this system and you will learn something that allows you to be a more prolific storyteller, a more prolific creator, uh, and, and more efficiently communicate with your audience. So don't feel like it's not for you, right? This It's, it's really for anyone um, who, who communicates with an audience. Uh, to your second point about where you can find out more, if you want to grab a copy of the book, it is available for pre-order, um, but by the time this comes out, you can just go ahead and get it on Amazon. I created a short link for you, so I want Melanie'sBook.com will take you right over to Amazon. You can go ahead and get yourself a copy there, um, and you can learn more about us and all that we do at StoryFuel at StoryFuel.co, so that's StoryFuel.co, and that's where you can learn about you can learn more about the book. You can learn more about our Matt, the brand storyteller mastermind, about our coaching opportunities, about consulting, speaking. All of it is there on the website. Um, and if you ever, you know, go looking for me, I am Melanie Diesel, D-E-Z-I-E-L, pretty much anywhere you find people. So you'll find me there. Cool. And if you want to know about her efforts to give back, go where I went, which was down in the footer. <laughs> Well, it's been a blast having you on the show. Uh, again, um, hope to do many, many more of these. Good luck with everything that you're working on. It's great to see you back in action. Congrats on the baby since I haven't spoken to you since then. And uh, keep fighting the good fight. And thanks for putting yourself out there so that others can see that it can be done. It's really, really cool of you. Yeah. Thanks for letting me share my story. Yeah, of course. This episode was awesome. I think it was shareable. Wait, don't leave. If you've never listened to my fancy outro, do it just once for me, please. Okay, if you enjoy Shareable and you find it valuable, there's a few ways that you can support the show. One, you can share it on social media, which I strongly encourage. I mean, it's literally the name of the show, Shareable. Two, you can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Overcast user, as many of my listeners are, make sure to click that star button on the episodes that you like. The third way that you can support the show is by blogging about it or discussing it on your own podcast or even by making a YouTube video where you talk about one of the episodes. And then the final way that you can support the show is by supporting it directly on Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. Now, before I let you go, I want to tell you about one other thing, shareable.fm, where this podcast is hosted. Do you have a podcast or know someone that has a podcast that you think is particularly, I don't know, shareable? Well, send them to shareable.fm to apply to be on the network. Shows that are selected not only get added to the site and in some cases to the Shareable FM radio podcasts, but we also bring together the best tips, tricks, and tactics for promoting your show and growing listenership. And for our headliner and feature shows, we provide fully outsourced social advertising support. So leave the uh, promotion to us, okay? So give it a look, and if you want to find some new and interesting shows, or if you just want additional exposure for your own show, or know someone who would benefit, please let them know about it. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Shareable. I sincerely appreciate it, and this show would mean absolutely nothing without you, the listener. So thank you, and I hope to see you back for the next one. Goodbye for now. <laughs>